Well, good morning. It's great to be with you. And uh, thank you, Penny. If if I'd have told Penny what I was going to be preaching on and where we're going to end up, then she couldn't have picked a better uh, set of songs. And that's when you know that God's at work, isn't it? When our wrong choices, our bad actions can produce dire consequences. Consequences that can last for an entire lifetime. When I was a boy, we used to sing a song. Twelve men went to spy in Canaan, ten were bad, two were good. Do you remember it, some of you? There's a few smiles going round. And uh, we, we got to the point, some saw giants tough and tall, some saw grapes in clusters fall, some saw God was in it all. I'm not singing very well, am I? <laughs> but you get the gist of it. Ten bad guys and two good guys. See, the context is God had delivered his people from slavery in Egypt. And they had stepped out of Egypt with one purpose, to step into the promised land. A land that was flowing with milk and honey. They stepped out, but they failed to step in. There are three main reasons why they failed to step in. The first reason is bad leadership. And if we go to Numbers chapter 13, we see the first opportunity that they didn't take. And we see the leadership role that was played in that. So if you uh, come with me, the, the context is they've sent out 12 leaders who were named. Imagine being named as one of those 10 bad guys. These are named and now shamed. They were sent out to scout the land, and after 40 days they come back with this report. So we pick it up at Numbers 13, verse 27. They gave Moses this account, we went into the land to which you sent us. It does flow with milk and honey. There is fruit. But the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak. And the Amalekites live in the Negev. The Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites live in the hill country. And the Canaanites live near the sea along the Jordan. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, We should go up and take possession of the land. For we can certainly do it. But the men who had gone up with him said, We can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said, the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim. The descendants of Anna come from the Nephilim. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes. And we look the same to them. 
That night, all the people of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron. And the whole assembly said to them, If only we had died in Egypt or in the desert. Why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it have been better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell down in the front of the whole assembly, gathered there Joshua son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had explored the land, tore their clothes. And said to the entire Israelite assembly, The land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into the land flowing with milk and honey and give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord. And do not be afraid of the people of the land. Because we will swallow them up. Their protection is gone. But the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. But the whole assembly talked about stoning them. Ten bad leaders. They were bad because they maximized what they should have minimized... And they minimized what they should have maximized. They maximized the enemy and they minimized God. You know, they knew that it was God's plan for them to step into the land of promise. They'd seen with their own eyes that it was a good land, just as God had promised. They knew that God had told them to step into it. But they said, we can't, and we won't. And there you have the other two reasons why they failed to step into the promised land. Unbelief says we can't, and rebellion says we won't. Unbelief and rebellion against God not only prevent us from stepping into what God has promised, But it causes us to step back. The people grumbled. They grumbled against Moses and against Aaron, against Joshua, against Caleb. And they said it would have been better if we'd died in the desert. Or better to go back to Egypt. Isn't that mind-boggling? The consequences of ten bad leaders and unbelief and rebellion had consequences. Forty years wandering in the wilderness. And all of those ten leaders missed God's plan A for their lives and died in the wilderness. But God is so good, and even in in the plan B, as it were, God stayed with them. Even the ten bad guys. (laughs) He gave them food every day. And he miraculously made it so their clothes didn't wear out. 
For 40 years, God was their God, even as they lived plan B for their life. We sing a song with this lining it. And if I wander, love will find me. God is love and he is seeking you and always be seeking you. That's his very nature. But when we wander, there are consequences. When we wander, there is an effect. And those consequences might be small and short term or they might last the rest of our lives. But there are consequences. Forty years later, God gives his people a second chance to change and move into the promised land. Joshua's chapter 3 and 4 give the story of that taking place, that stepping out. And we haven't time to read it all. Please read it at home. But I'm going to read the, the first seven verses of chapter 3. This is what they should have done 40 years earlier. Early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out from Shittim and went to the Jordan where they camped before crossing over. After three days, the officers went throughout the camp, giving orders to the people. When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and priests who are Levites carrying it, you are to move out from your position and follow it. Then you will know which way to go, since you've never been this way before. But keep a distance of about a thousand yards between you and the ark. Do not go near it. Joshua told the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Joshua said to the priest, take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass on ahead of the people. So they took it up and went ahead of them. And the Lord said to Joshua, today I will begin to exalt you in the eyes of Israel, so that you may know that I am with you as I was with Moses. Three major reasons why they stepped into the promised land. Good leadership, faith, and consecration. And they're the exact opposite of the three reasons why they failed to step into God's plan for them. Good leadership is a great blessing to a community. You in this Light and Life family of St. Austell are very blessed to have Pete who is an excellent leader. He is your Joshua. And God has put him here. And he is the man with character and wisdom. Just as Joshua was in the Old Testament. Joshua's eyes were on God. Joshua's confidence was in God. Tomorrow... The Lord will do amazing things among you. What a promise. Joshua is full of faith in God, just as he was 40 years earlier. You imagine the journey that Joshua has been on 
Joshua has been in the wilderness with the people of God for 40 years, and at the end of it, he's full of faith. Joshua had the character, the depth of character. He had the strength of character that is needed in a leader. It's not just about gifting. Character is so important. If Joshua hadn't had the character, he wouldn't have lasted 40 years. He'd have just given it. Said, well, stuff this for a lark. But he didn't. He stayed true to God during those 40 years. And he's full of faith. He was one of the two good guys. It was Joshua and Caleb who said, we can do it. Come on, we can do it. Joshua is probably in his 60s, we don't know. I guess he's in his 60s. It's been a long wait for this second chance to step into the promised land. I I just love it that Joshua is poised, ready, in faith, waiting to step out in faith. When we step out in faith, it's scary. And I've said this many times from this pulpit. It's scary. It always is scary. It, it, It just is. Joshua says in verse 4, you've never been this way before. That's why it's scary. (laughs) Because you don't know where you're going, really. You kind of do, but you don't. You know, as Becky and I have stepped out into Bristol in faith, it's, it's a bit scary because we've never been this way before. And if God doesn't turn up, we are stuffed. (laughs) And that's the brutal truth. It really is that. Straightforward. But God is faithful. He has promised. And he is turning up. You know, God plans things a long time in advance. We weren't too chuffed about the waiting period, being honest with you. But God planned the waiting period. Because of the waiting period, stuff happened. But God knew a long time in advance that on the 20th of October, on a Wednesday night, there'd be a group of Americans, Free Methodists, from the Free Methodist Foundation, going to be eating in a restaurant called The Harvester. And as time got nearer, they rung me up and said, do you want to come? And I said, well, yes, but can I bring the whole group? They said, yes, you can bring the whole group. So the whole group of us mingled with these Americans, sat at different tables, and the whole group absolutely Loved it. But one person loved it very, very much because I don't remember David and Alda came here in February to be part of the church plant. They came to see if they felt this DNA of this church was right. And God woke him up in the night. He had a vision in the night. And in that vision, he saw a flag, the American flag, with the stars and stripes on it. And he came down all excited. There were other things, but he came down all excited and he said, I think there's going to be an American connection. Week two of the church plant is sitting at a table next to an American. And this American says, I'd love to invite you and your wife to come over and have a holiday in my condo in America. He was pretty chuffed. God knew that that was going to happen. The next morning I went with this American group to look at the first Methodist building in the world, the new room, which I've been in many times now. 
and onto Charles Wesley's house. And the chairman of the Free Methodist Foundation sort of attached himself to me and started asking me lots of questions about the church plant. So I told him the whole story. Then he asked some personal questions. And so I was with him pretty much the whole time. And we get back to the new room and Becky's waiting after a shopping trip, was it, darling? (laughs) Yeah? Looking after Gemma and the children, I must add. (laughs) So we get back and he's standing on the pavement. There are tears trickling down his cheeks. As he said, your story has moved me. He said, this is the highlight of the trip. He said, I want to pray for you every day. Please put me on your prayer list. Not only that, we sent him the prayer list. He said, would you send me special, specific requests? And he said, would you come over to Seattle and visit us? And maybe we will. There's many other things I could share, but one of, one of the most lovely men, he's actually just left Kingswood, a vicar called Andy Mason, was welcomed us in, he got me preaching at Hannah Mount, uh, involved in meeting the, the other leaders in churches together, meeting where I could meet them all. And, and he, he was just so welcoming and wonderful and made it so easy for us. And as a result, the welcome has been superb. And a young man that he knows has joined our church plant now, called Joe, a 20-year-old lad, and he's absolutely loving being part of the group. And that's down to Andy Mason. And uh, so we thank God for, for what God's doing. I could say more, but I think that's enough to say that when you step out in faith, God does amazing things. The priests at Joshua's command stood in the river Jordan while it was in full flood. That is scary, isn't it? They stood in the water and the water stopped flowing upstream. And all the Israelites crossed the Jordan on dry ground. Good leadership focuses on God and encourages people to believe. Good leadership and faith. Faith is absolutely vital. So the people trusting leadership and putting their trust in God, those two things are so important, moved forwards. And God did amazing things. But before God did the amazing thing, Joshua said, there's something you need to do, folks. And this is a real challenge. This is where we get to the the real hard-hitting part of of what they had to do. In verse 5, Joshua says, consecrate yourself consecrate yourselves. This is the complete opposite of the rebellion. Complete opposite of saying, we won't. We won't. When I was young, there was an old hymn that we used to sing, and it was, take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. And I believe this hymn really sums up consecration. And as a young man, when the worship leader picked this, I kind of wished he hadn't, or she hadn't. Because singing the hymn was challenging. Very challenging. By the time he got to the end of it, he had nothing left. He would given it all to God. Everything. That was why it was so challenging. 
You kind of wish, well, leave that him alone. I don't want that in my face. For those of you who don't know it, it's going to come up on the screen. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. Take my moments and my days. Let them flow in ceaseless praise. Take my hands and let them move at the impulse of thy love. Take my feet and let them be swift and beautiful for thee. Take my voice and let me sing. Always only for my King. Take my lips and let them be filled with messages from thee. Take my silver and my gold. Not a mite would I withhold. Take my intellect and use every power as thou shalt choose. Take my will and make it thine. It shall be no longer mine. Take my heart, it is thine own. It shall be thy royal throne. Take my love, my Lord, I pour at thy feet its treasure store. Take myself, and I will be ever only all for thee. Consecration involves surrender. Total, absolute, unconditional surrender. Paul writing to the Corinthians, uh, sorry, to the, the Christians at Rome says this, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, which is your reasonable service. It's not just about giving God my heart. It's not just about giving God my soul. It's about giving God my body as well. In other words, take all of me. All to Jesus I surrender. So consecration is full surrender. And that involves understanding the transfer of ownership that takes place when we consecrate our lives. As Christians, we should not be living as though we are our own. Paul, writing to the Christians at Corinth, says this, You are not your own, you were bought with a price. Therefore, honour God with your body. I am not my own. I have been bought with a price. The price is the precious blood of Jesus Christ. It is not corruptible. It will never disappear. It will never fade. It will never spoil. It's precious blood of Christ. The body and the blood of Christ cry out, paid in full. I have been paid for in full. And if you're a Christian, you have been paid for in full. Consecration is surrender because we know who we belong to. And that leads us to the last thing, to enthrone Christ. Hudson Taylor, a very famous missionary, said this, 
If you do not crown him Lord of all, you do not crown him Lord at all. You can't have sort of Lord, can you? He's either a Lord that you surrender to and serve, or he's not a Lord. When we enthrone Jesus as our King, we place ourselves in a position where his kingdom activity can be miraculously outworked in our lives. And if we look at Joshua, that's exactly the principle that happened in Joshua 3 verse 5. Consecrate yourselves. Why? For tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. So our consecration has a direct bearing on the activity of God among us. You see, I don't need God for a me-sized job. I can do a me-sized job on my own. I don't need God for that. Ooh. Don't know what happened there. But I do need God for a God-sized job. Because I can't do a God-sized job. Just can't do it. But if I am consecrated to God, then I am in a position to do a God-sized job. I became a Christian when I was 14, but I didn't consecrate my life to Christ until I was 18. And that was when I surrendered to God and I enthroned him as my king. And from that day on, God has done some amazing things in my life. It's not been all you know, sky high and everything's amazing. There have been some hard times. I'm not saying it's easy. God God doesn't say to you, come to me and life will be easy. Sometimes people have this wrong perception that you become a Christian so that God can make you happy. God wants to give you something much better than that. God wants to make you like he is. (laughs) He wants to make you holy. He wants to give you the character of Jesus Christ. That is far better than mere happiness. Much better than that. Much deeper than that. Much richer than that. And at the end of it, we accomplish God's plan A for our lives. Will it be scary? Yes. It will be scary. Will it be sometimes hard and you are doing something you don't want to do? Your personal preference is being laid aside? Yes, it does mean that. But is it exciting? Yes. Is it the best way? Yes. If you consecrate yourselves today, God will do amazing things among you. 